I'm Anya, and I spent decades compartmentalizing and suppressing the different parts of myself. I woke up at age 40 exhausted, confused, and completely out of alignment. These days, I am definitely not your run-of-the-mill bored housewife. So if you are tired of the shame narrative around sex and pleasure, and you're ready to be all facets of yourself, let's create sexual alchemy. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, welcome back, loves. It is the first time I have been on the microphone in a bit, so feels good to be back here with you all. I had a lot of episodes recorded before I went into my recent um, tonsillectomy, and you know what's really funny is that you know, when children get their tonsils out, they basically get popsicles for two days and ice cream and they're fine and back on their feet. And my ass has been laid up in bed for the better part of, it was, it was in bed straight away for eight days. And then after that, it's pretty slow going, kind of getting back, back to normalcy. And I am now three weeks out from when I had my tonsillectomy. And this is the first thing I've been able to record because my voice has just been a little wonky and not consistent. So it feels good to be back in this space, to be chatting with you. And I am excited for the episode coming up today. So this is a friend of mine who I have gotten to know over the last few months a little bit uh, in that he and his partner have a podcast of their own called the Kinky Cocktail Hour. And we had gotten in a conversation, I'm not even sure, probably somewhere on Twitter. And we had engaged in a conversation and he asked if I would be interested in coming on their show. And so since then, I've been on their show two times, once to talk about the cuckolding dynamic that my husband and I are in. And then the second time was to talk about the sexual shamanism training that I went to that I discussed on the show last week with y'all. So that has been are the genesis of our relationship. Uh, this man's name is Saffer Master. He goes by Saffer and he is from South Africa. And I learned from him that Saffer is a word for South African. So it was kind of his nickname. And as you will learn also, he and his partner are in a 24-7 total power exchange dynamic. So he is the dominant. She is the submissive in their relationship. And Master, the second part of his name, came from obviously that DS dynamic. So you're going to learn a lot about his dynamic, his background. He's going to tell us a lot about his own upbringing and his journey through sexuality. And it's just a fascinating conversation. Talk about lots of fun things and talk about consent, which is incredibly important when you are in a total power exchange dynamic. And I just really enjoyed this conversation with him. So sit back and, you know, in the spirit of their show, grab yourself a cocktail and let's listen to this episode with Sapphire Master. Welcome to the show, Saffir Master. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I, I've i known that I wanted to have you on the show for a long time, even before the show actually got started. So it's great to actually have the conversation now and, and try to get a little bit of your story put out in the world because yeah. you and Lady Petra have a very popular podcast called the kinky cocktail hour correct over 400 episodes are out right now right is that what yeah. you were just telling me we do we have 400 episodes you know our intention is to demystify kink and to demystify sexuality and because lady petra is a sommelier the way the podcast got started is we used to sit after having sex in our living room and debrief over a cocktail and in that process we, we started having these really interesting, like deeply personal relationship-minded conversations as we were sort of starting and growing into our dynamic. And, you know, we thought one day, well, why don't we just record these conversations? They're really interesting. And so we needed a, a hook and we thought, well, you know, you're a Somalia, just make a drink. We'll just do a drink before every episode because we do it anyway. So let's mm -hmm. just, let's just, talk about the drink for a minute and then we'll go on and talk about sex or whatever. 
And so that's how it got started. And, you know, we got we got started right before the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden, Lady Petra was home from work every day because she was, um, you know, working from home. And so all of a sudden, we had an opportunity to do daily episodes. And, you know, there's a lot to talk about in kink, not just about kink, but our premise was really more related to that every individual kinkster has a story and their journey in sexuality will really help demystify other people's experiences because our view is that you hear something for yourself in the sharing of others and just being able to talk to kinksters about things you know we had this amazing conversation i'm just editing the pod today with this pro dom in london a couple of days ago, and she comes from the world of theater, and she's talking about bringing a five-act series, like the way theater is structured into kink. And it's really interesting, right? That's an interesting perspective to have that we never had before. And that was the whole thing. You know, we're on a journey in our sexuality, Lady Petra and I, mm-hmm. and this podcast sort of tracks our journey. And when we talk to kinksters, we talk to you, you know, about your sexuality and sexual shamanism. And that was really interesting to us because we're sort of taking on this context of energy and sexuality. And so, you know, we just, we just listen and we learn and, you know, it's amazing. We, I think we have 146 episodes right now. We have over 150, 140,000 downloads. We have pages and pages and pages of, um, really complimentary reviews of our pod, unsolicited, you know, that people have sent us um, just because they heard something, you know, and sometimes the stories are really heartfelt and sometimes they're just, hey, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we hear things like, oh, you should really talk to so-and-so, you know? Yeah. So we've done a bunch of interesting things. We just finished a leather series. We, we recently did a series on pride where we talked mm-hmm. to like a gay uh, advocate and a lesbian advocate and a pan advocate and a kink advocate, all in the context of pride. Yeah. You know, so, so we're just really exploring human sexuality and kink, especially because in Lady Petra and my dynamic, we live in a 24-7 TPE, which is a total power exchange. So I'm a dominant, she's my submissive masochist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're on a journey of exploring kink and sexuality the way we're exploring kink and sexuality. You know, and so it's like the podcast has become kind of a a baby in a way, you know, we just kind of birthed it and now we're like in it doing it all the time. Totally. And what I love about it is that because you cover so many dynamics, which is what I would love to be able to do too with sexual alchemy is, is really demystify, right? What a lot of this stuff is for people because the entry point, the accessibility point feels really hard for people sometimes, but when you're able to kind of just break it down and get people's stories and understand kink a little bit better and the different aspects of kink, it, it just really, I think, opens worlds up for people. And I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, well, we believe, well, I believe anyway, that people live inside of the stories they tell themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and one of the one of the big limiters on self-expression is shame related to sexuality. Absolutely. You know? And that comes in a in a current context in a religious um, country or a country that professes to be religious that comes, you know. At a very young age, you start getting told things to do and not do and what you're allowed to feel and not feel. And then we live in a, you know, defined patriarchy. And so women are often restricted from exploring their sexuality at the risk of being vilified and shamed. So I think that when we have people share about their journey, like, how did you discover yourself? What we ask is, how did you discover yourself as a sexual creature? Mm-hmm. And how does that get you from there to here? And then tell us that journey, you know, and that's it. kind of the, that's kind of the mindset that we have. And there's always something that somebody tells us in their journey that sparks a conversation, right? So there's always something where we can go, oh, speak more about this or say more about that. Mm-hmm. And so I like to joke that when you look at our editing files, 
Like we do very little actual talking on the podcast. Like yeah, we hardly say anything at all. Yeah. We just ask a question and let the person we're talking to share. And somehow we've had some really amazing shares, you know, like a lot of people tell us they're not very wordy or they don't have much to say. And then they talk nonstop for 50 minutes right? because they haven't been asked before. You know? Right. You give them a platform and the ability to speak about their experience. And they realize, wow, I really, it's pretty deep. I've got a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think what I would like to do today is kind of turn the tables on you a little bit. I know sure. you talk about your dynamic and things like yeah. that, but what I, I haven't heard, which I'm sure it's in some of those 446 episodes, but yeah. you know, the story about how Saffir Master became Saffir Master. Yeah. And my very first question, which is not an origin story, but it's more about like, well, it is an origin story, just not of you as a human, but right. as, as your, as your name, where did Saffir Master come from? So Saffir is a nickname for South Africans. Gotcha. And I was born in South Africa. And so Saffir is an identity for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And master, well, you know, that's self-explanatory. Sure. Just put them together. Yeah, I love it. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for clarifying that. So yeah, I, I guess that is where I'd love to kick off is a little bit of, of your origin story and how yeah. you came to where you are today ter in terms of your sexual journey. And if you, you know, a lot of what we're talking about on sexual alchemy also has to do with kind of spiritual journeys and not so much in the religious context, but for some right. of us, there's a lot of religion there that we're unpacking, but for some people, there's nothing. But anyway, right. for, for my listeners, anything that feels relevant in that space, as you kind sure. of discuss your origin story would be so beautiful. Yeah. Well, you know, South Africa is far away from America um, politically. And when I grew up, it was the world of apartheid. So I grew up in a white supremacist society. Um, corporal punishment was absolutely a part of my growing up, both at home and at school. I, I got whipped practically every day from the time I was a little kid until I graduated high school. Wow. And um, there was a moment where I was like 16 or so. And this girl, Kathy, used to sit on my foot in class and kind of make herself feel good in front of me. And the teacher was, I was in an Afrikaans class. Afrikaans is the other language. Mm -hmm. And he called her up to punish her for disturbing the classroom. And, you know, we, the boys got caned in class in front of the classroom, just bend over and get caned. And the girls got either a slap on the hand with a ruler or detention. And Kathy was kind of a bit, um, you know, tomboyish. And, and she said, look, I'm not going to be slapped on the hand and you're not going to give me detention. If you want to punish me, you can cane me. Hmm. And the teacher hadn't caned any girls in class in all the time that I was there. But he bent her over and he caned her. Hmm. And, you know, she got red in the face. She didn't say a word. And I was really aware that my cock was hard. Hmm. And... Um, she came back to sit on my foot and I sort of pulled my foot away and she was like, she had no, and I left my foot there and she sat on my foot and she had a, like a big old orgasm. And of course the class assumed that she was crying about being caned, but you know, she was, it was very sexual. Wow. And, and I didn't really have a full awareness of kink at that time or at all, really, to be honest, I just was aware that that was a very sexual moment. And then uh, I was on an international gymnastics team and I went to Berlin. And Berlin is like the sex capital of the world. The real fucking shows. There's sex shops in every corner, prostitutes on every block. You know, it's like a, it was at that time in 1976, it was a very sexual city. And I purchased a magazine. Sex was banned in South Africa the way, you know, apartheid sort of was as sexist as it was racist. So sex was bad in South Africa or sex, you know, acts or magazines. Like there was a Playboy on the shelf in South Africa or Penthouse, none of that. Mm -hmm. So I smuggled this magazine back into the country when I came back, a little magazine. And in the back were a bunch of stories that people had written about sex. And there was one particular story about a mother-daughter prostitute team who were having sex with a client and 
while you know in the process of it there was a lot of like hardcore bdsm but then at 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 the end of the scene the mother who is getting fucked in the ass says to the john well why don't you piss in my ass before you lose your heart on and like i always read that and that just like conjured up a world of water sports for me that i never knew about you know just i just had that fantasy to fantasize about through the course of my young life and then i married um i emigrated here in 77 and i went to college and you know while i was in college i just had tons of sexual encounters some were slightly kinky i mean depending on where you define kink you know there's a lot of oral sex and anal sex there was one girl who wanted to be spanked but really it wasn't something we took very far but then when i graduated I met my soon-to-be wife, and she was more like the pinup girl that I sort of fantasized about. So I sort of married my fantasy. She was a preacher's kid. She was completely sexually not aligned with me at all. We sort of managed to have kids. <laughs> and, you know, we had a very um, unsatisfying sexual relationship. We mostly just raised kids. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time that I was with her, I would read the back pages of um, the magazines and read the kink personals and be really sort of envious and jealous about what I was reading. And every once in a while, I'd reach out to somebody and I'd arrange to meet them so I could spank them and fuck them, you know. And that was really my my kink experience till I got divorced. And then when I got divorced. I just decided that a big part of my life had been missed, like mm-hmm. a big part of my sexual self-expression had been missed. And so I just took a deep dive into kink. I got on Fet Life and the very first, um, probably in the first month after I got into kink, some guy reached out to me and offered me his wife. And so I got into the hot wife lifestyle as a bull like right away. And she was deeply kinky, submissive, masochist, hardcore experienced. And so she really trained me to be a effective sadist. Mm. You know, um, through the course of my life, I was more of a, a Taoist than a, I, w- I was raised Jewish, but South Africa was very repressed Christian Dutch reformed church stuff. And so I just sort of rejected all of it and have more of a Taoist perspective mm-hmm. about the sort of greater whole. And, you know, I like to post that we live on a planet in outer space and I post photographs of, you know, galaxies and moons and planets just to remind us that this is a very temporary existence that we have here on this planet yeah. and that um, we really need to be present, you know? And so I took this deep dive into kink and, I got to explore kink sort of from a fire hose, you know. I got to explore water sports and sadism and bondage and knife play and wax and, you know, multiple partners and all of this stuff. But there was always something missing for me. Mm-hmm. And even though the sex that I had was hot and interesting and kinky, I still felt sort of empty inside. And so I went on an inquiry about what that was about. And where I landed was what was missing for me was intimacy. That was the thing Mm -hmm. that was missing. Mm -hmm. And so then I set about finding a partner with whom I could be intimate, but who also was as open-minded sexually as I was, who wanted to explore kink. You know, you can't be a sadist if you don't have a masochist. You can't be a dom if you don't don't have a submissive. Yeah. You know, so I needed to find a woman who, uh, because I'm, you know, a hetero cis male, I needed to find a woman who identified as a submissive masochist who was open to exploring kinky sex with me and also creating an intimate loving relationship. So that was what I was on an inquiry about. And Mm -hmm. I set about writing a uh, seeking post that sort of laid out exactly what I was up to and what I was looking for. And Lady Petra at that time was new to Fet Life. And so she was searching after her 
unfulfilled marriage for something similar, but from another perspective. Right. And, you know, I, I had postulated that I'm a um, lifestyle dominant. I'm seeking a total power exchange submissive masochist to explore my life with as a partner, as a wing woman, you know, somebody to cook with and mm-hmm. play with and travel with and, you know, kink with. And, and she answered the, the ad. Um, you can talk to her about how she managed to find it, but mm-hmm. she went through a process of searching, you know, locally and she found my ad and she experienced it as it having been written to her. Mm-hmm. that's how she experienced it you know yeah and so we started interacting and it took us several months because she was still wrapping up her divorce before we even met and then several months before she got separated before I claimed her she had to put herself forward to be claimed and mm-hmm. then um, circumstances had it that I offered her a place to stay and we started living together, you know, about eight or nine months after we first started chatting. Mm-hmm. And we explored our dynamic since then. So that's two years ago now. Yeah. And we're happier, more in love, more connected, more aligned than ever. And the sex we're having at the moment is energetic sex that. I can spend some time sharing with you, but it's really remarkable how fulfilling it is to be in a relationship that is so completely aligned. That's sort of the remarkable thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things that you said that piqued my interest. So the first one I want to start with, though, is this concept of of claiming her. You said she had to put herself forward to be claimed by you. Can you talk a little bit about what that verbiage means and to the extent, you know, obviously we all hold things sacred to ourselves. So don't feel like I'm asking you to share anything that's really just kind of private. I'm happy to to share, you know, here's the thing. I'm a dominant sadist and as a submissive, you have to give me your consent for what happens. And for somebody who's relatively new to kink, she had to experience the connection with a sadist as a matter of personal choice. She couldn't be coerced at all, right? I couldn't persuade her. I couldn't demand of her. I literally had to invite her to put herself forward into the dynamic to actually like cause the dynamic to occur. Mm-hmm. To bring it into reality, she had to create that, mm-hmm. right? I, I I was there as a possibility, and what she had to do was make it so that it occurred. So she had to put herself forward, and I told her what's going to happen when you get claimed is I'm going to claim you, I'm going to mark you, and I'm going to fuck you, and then you will be claimed. Mm. And the way I'm going to mark you is I'm going to use a cane to mark your ass and I'm going to piss in your ass and I'm going to piss down your throat. And that's how you're going to be claimed. Hmm. And you've got to choose that because that's the, that's the currency to, to get into this dynamic. Hmm. And she had to consider that, right? And she had to choose it and she had to put herself forward to be claimed, which she did. And it was terrifying for her because she hadn't been with a sadist and she was concerned about putting herself forward into the hands of a sadist. You know, she sure. knew she had a tendency to be interested in some aspects of masochism. She mm-hmm. hadn't fully explored it. Now, how did I know that? Well, I had given her a task to do earlier. When I was first courting her, I wanted to make sure that even though she said she was a masochist, that she was in fact a masochist. And so I gave her a task to do, which involved figging herself with ginger and meditating with it in her ass and masturbating with it. And if she could have an orgasm while figging herself, or if she could meditate and experience a, a, an orga- a body orgasm from meditating with ginger up her ass, then that would tell me that if nothing else, she has a pain relationship that is sexualized. Mm. 
And so after she completed that, and I concluded that she really did tendency, have a tendency to be a masochist, that I would invite her to put herself forward, you know, because I was physically attracted to her. So it wasn't about the attraction. It was really more about, you know, is she willing to sort of take on a total power exchange? Like what mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. And we had talked a lot about the concept total power exchange, right? Um, and so she understood that she was gifting me her power, like she was gifting me her physical body to use the way that I chose to use. Mm-hmm. And that choice was inside of a context called I don't break my toys, right? So you know, she has to choose, I want to be used by this man again and again and again. And for me to have that, I've got to put myself forward. Yeah. That's what the claiming was about. But then you just said something about, I don't break my toys. Yes. And that, if I'm assuming correctly, that would mean then that like, she can trust you. Yes. To use her. Yes. But not break her. Right, exactly. So um, I believe, like she, when she first considered kink, she put herself forward with the notion of being a slave. Mm-hmm. That's what that was. What her construct was, and I have a lot of trouble with that. I have a lot of trouble with the word slave. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of trouble with the notion that she has no agency. And so the conversations we had were all about agency at the beginning and about, even though it's a power exchange, she has agency. So the way that looks in our dynamic is if something comes up that doesn't work for her, we can put the dynamic to one side while we have a conversation about cleaning up whatever the issue is, Mm -hmm. right? So she has Mm -hmm. agency. She's like, we're, we're actually equals in the relationship but in the dynamic, I have the power. Right. So, you know, she has to understand that I'm completely going to respect her hard limits. And she's going to understand that I'm completely going to respect her safe words. So when we first started in the conversation, outside of the claiming ceremony, where there weren't any safe words, it was just an experience. But beyond that, if she yellowed or read it out, so. In, in kink parlance, to red is to call a stop to mm-hmm. what's occurring. It's, it's like beyond what she's willing to tolerate. And because she's not a slave, she gets to call red. Mm-hmm. Yellow in our conversation is, you know, I kind of like what you're doing, but it's too intense for me. Can you back off? Slow yeah. down, do something else, right? So... In all of our play, now we've had sex over a thousand times since we started. She's yellowed twice. She's actually called yellow twice. Mm-hmm. If you had told her that two years in, she'd be a heavy impact masochist, mm-hmm. she would have said that's never going to happen. But in the rabbit hole, which is what we agree to dive into, the twists and turns you take in your exploration of kink and sex take you in a journey that's remarkable. You don't really know where it's going to go. We believe new actions produce unexpected outcomes. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know, I didn't know what it was going to look like. You know, She had a lot of concerns when we were first living together about former partners that I had who had endured like 100 cane strokes, for example that she couldn't do that. And I was going to judge her about Mm -hmm. her experience. And I kept saying to her, no, it's not about a hundred cane strokes, right? That's not, that's not what kink is for me. Like for me, marking you is important as my property. Like I mark you as my property, you know, your ass marked means a lot to me. These are, these are love marks. They're Mm not, I'm not here to hurt you. Mm-hmm. for the sake of hurting you. That's not mm-hmm. the intention. So I want you to be able to choose to be marked over time. Now, I'm going to mark you because I choose to mark you. But, it, but over time, I need you to be able to choose to be marked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
it took a series of conversations about three or four months into living together, I noticed that week by week, because we'd have our marking process on the weekend, we call them our high, our high protocol ceremonies, mm-hmm. right? or our high protocol scenes. I um, noticed that, like if we marked her on Saturday or Sunday, on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, she was in a great mood. Mm-hmm. But by Thursday, her mood shifted. And it wasn't like she became sort of bitchy or anything. It was really just, a, I just noticed that there was more story happening in her head about things, right? Mm-hmm. So the story was gone. And then little by little, the story would creep back. And so I said to her, you know what I think we ought to do is a daily maintenance banking, mm-hmm. not to punish you, not because you've done anything wrong, but just because that regular impact will keep that story quiet, that you're not enough or not good enough or whatever, right? Yeah. And we always have sex when we have impact. So she's never just punished for the sake of being punished. So I would flog her, I would paddle her, I would use different tools and implements uh, during these daily experiences. And we would debrief after, you know, we had kink and sex and, we do a podcast, right? So in the conversations in the podcast, actually, early on, we remember having a conversation with her where she talked about how she really found this one particular flogger that really got to her sexually, like it really made her feel good. Like she got to the impact part, mm-hmm. right? Where the impact shifted from being spanked to an energy experience. Yeah. And so we started just using that. and. Then we started experimenting with how far could we take that. And eventually we're, she's, you know, it's a heavy bullhide flogger. And she's getting like 1,200 strokes with it, right? And I'm not talking about like little light strokes. I'm talking about I'm a sadist. I'm hitting her forcefully with this flogger for a thousand strokes, right? Wow. And, And she's having orgasms during this experience. And so on a gradient, on a gradient, we went from, I'm concerned about a hundred cane strokes to use this a thousand times on me, right? Daily. <laughs> Daily. Yeah. And 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 on a gradient, that sort of changed the way that the caning has occurred, the marking mm-hmm. ceremony. And, you know, little by little, I remember one day she put herself forward to be marked. She presented herself to be used. So every day she presents herself to be used. So she gets prepared, she kneels for me. And I normally, you know, start with a blowjob or something. But mm-hmm. one day she presented herself with the cane because she wanted to be marked because she realized her marks had faded and I hadn't asked to mark her. And she was choosing both to please me on one hand, but also she was longing for the marks because they occurred to her as a symbol of our dynamic as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that progressed and eventually we got to a point where one day when I was caning her, she blurted out that she loved me in the middle of the caning. Mm. And then another time, not long after that, I had caned her and I was, because I'm, what we figured out is if I cane her and then fuck her, then she has a relief from the pain and she can experience the experience of it more completely. So we created where I cane her and then I fuck her ass and we do that over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then one day while we're in that cycle, she said, mark me, daddy, like mark mm-hmm. me in the middle, right? So I said to her, well, that was really interesting. And it actually offers an opportunity because like, I just want to mark you. So I'll cane you the first time and then you can request as many marks as you choose. So we're not having this contest about how much you should be marked. Right. Right. Just choose as many marks as you want. That's fine with me. Yeah. Because I just want you marked. That's the thing. Right. And, you know, I mean, now she's up to 10 marks that she's choosing, 10 cane strokes. Yeah. And I'm talking about a heavy cane and I have to hit her very hard. And the reason I have to is because her ass is so well leathered by the daily experience yeah. that for the mark to actually stick, I've got to actually penetrate the tissue deep enough to create a bruise that right. actually lasts. So I was going to say, yeah, how long will that last? Maybe six, five, six days at the most, mm. maybe five days. I mean, 
have to look to see today. Let's see, she sends me a picture of her marked ass every day. I have to look to see in today's picture if there are any marks. Let's have a look. And while you're looking, yeah, I just, I have to say, it's just so fascinating because I'm hearing a huge evolution and like where I want to go next is you had mentioned that like the energy has shifted so significantly in these, yeah. in these, yeah, let's see here. I don't know if you can see that. It's very slight marks. Okay. That's slight marks. Yeah. And today's, so, today is Tuesday. So it didn't last. <laughs> yeah. And when was the last one? Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Well, sounds like there's more coming up. Yep. Every week. <laughs> So you, you were talking about how the energy has shifted and how she's experiencing now orgasm through flogging. Mm. And to me, that says a ton about the energy exchange between the two of you, because obviously, I mean, it's not spontaneous orgasm. It's coming because she is being stimulated, but she's, you know, it's not her clit. It's not her cervix her G spot. It's not these things that are being stimulated it's, it's her mind, it's her spirit. And I guess I'd like to get into this concept then of this like energetic sex that you guys are experiencing now, which I'm assuming probably is different than what it was at the beginning, because the deeper the connection and the more you kind of create together. Um, yeah. So talk, talk a little bit about how you're experiencing this energy that is shifted and changed over time. I think that, for us, we're sexually aligned pretty well. Mm-hmm. So sex was always great. We always had great sex. And the way that I reference it is a lot of what happens for a dom in a high intensity kink scene is the experience as a power experience. It's not really mm-hmm. a sensual experience. Mm-hmm. And so for the four years prior to my connecting with Lady Petra, I would have really kinky sex with various women and rarely have an orgasm because mm. I was wrapped into the power of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And with Lady Petra, somehow we always got to where I'm going to have an orgasm out of that. So we're very aligned sexually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happened was, I want to say, when I collared her, so about a year into living together, her divorce was complete and I collared her. We could talk about that. Mm-hmm. But after I collared her, we had this conversation where she was like clear that she hadn't, I mean, this was true for both of us. I had to first come to a place where I was willing to be vulnerable mm-hmm. to allow her in, right? To be vulnerable, mm-hmm. actually be vulnerable. That's, that's where intimacy lives, is in Absolutely. being vulnerable, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And she had pretended to be vulnerable. Mm. And then she realized that. And then she allowed her vulnerability to unfold. And all of a sudden, because we were both being vulnerable, we were connected in a much more profound way. Mm-hmm. So now when we're having sex, there's both vulnerability and love present. And, you know, like I'm, I give her a lot of pleasure when we're having sex, you know, she has multiple orgasms for hours. Right. So she, you know, she digs it. And, um, well, yeah, and that, (laughs) that accessibility comes from being vulnerable and from, you know, creating a space where we can really be present with each other. So, so that happened. And then on a gradient from there forward, we just got deeper and deeper into like exploring different kinks. We used gas masks and rubber and, you know, rope and chains. And we just tried all different things. And then um, we interviewed a couple of hypno kinksters. And so we started exploring hypnosis because, you know, what happens in for her in our kink scenes is she gets into a trance state. Yeah, you guys have talked about that. Right away. That, we call that subspace, right? So she yeah. gets into a trance state as a submissive and I get into this dom space as a dominant. And we have, uh, you know, scenes where we're very present in the scene. Um, but it would take a while to get her into that trance state. And so I postulated that we could use hypnokink to get her into a trance state more quickly 
And then we can link together the 17 or 18 scenes we do in a, in a scene so that we're always in a heightened state of arousal, like throughout mm -hmm. the two hours or whatever. And so I started to hypnotize her to have a mouth gasm. And so the way that looks is I induce her into a hypnotic state and then it, I give her a Hitachi to edge herself. And then when I shove my cock down her throat, she has an urge to come. And when I give her the cue, she has an orgasm, <laughs> right? And so that's how we start our scenes where she's hypnotized and having orgasms immediately. And we just go from there. And it's just one interlude after another. I think we counted... 26 different scenarios that occur one after the other where either one of us is being super stimulated and the experience somewhere in there becomes very energetic it becomes mm -hmm. like we're not actually present in our physical body we relate to each other as electrical creatures like remember the movie avatar yeah absolutely so we sort of feel like that like we like the tingling exists between us and our parts connect electrically and totally. we become this like electrical creature. And it's, we do this dance, like it's a, it's like a sexualized dance where she's either sucking my cock or I'm eating her pussy or I'm fucking her ass or I'm flogging her or whatever, you know, there's just like a, just, it's just a series of interactions mm -hmm. where the electrical energy is so present yeah, that I can literally feel like I'm out of my body. I'm sort of watching it from on top of the room. I'm just watching this thing happen. Yeah. And it takes us a couple of days to recover. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so incredibly intense. And what I, I'm thinking about then is, I mean, you're creating so much energy and it has yes. to go somewhere then, right? We know energy yeah. doesn't disappear and it you know, right. kind of shifts and changes. Do you do anything intentional with that energy? So one of the things that like in sexual shamanism, one of the things that you can do is, you know, kind of create energy from sexual encounters and exchanges, and then utilize that energy to manifest things, whether it be in your business or in your life or whatever. But like, do you do anything or like have an acknowledgement of that energy or? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah. So, you know, I believe that you create your life as a postulate. Like we talk about, we create each other right? Like I'm responsible hundred percent for her well-being and she's hundred percent responsible for my well-being. We're both hundred percent responsible for the construct of our dynamic, but neither one of us is 50-50. We're both hundred mm -hmm. percent. So, so, you know, we're fully intentional about our waking experience, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've created some coaching paradigms for relationship for kinksters mm -hmm. we have created three tiers of coaching so the first one is just a task a day it's a 90-day program and what you get out of that is a deep dive into your own personal sexual self-expression and you get moved into action to bring it into reality to find your ideal partner mm. um, so that's the 90-day program then we have a a three-month program that's just a task a day that's just you get a task there's some reading writing or written questions and you have to answer questions back to us about them second part is a group coaching call where you are in a conversation with five or six other people and you deal with a distinction every week and then out of that distinction you also go in this deep dive into your sexuality and you come out of it with an action list to related to whoever you choose. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then we offer personal coaching where you do everything that we just talked about, but you do it one-on-one -on -one with us. Mm -hmm. And, and that, you know, that's um, a very powerful way to move yourself into action. Yeah. And so, so we've done that. And then, you know, just to give you an example, one of the things that's true for Lady Petra is that she's a switch, right? So she put herself forward as a slave we talked about agency. She discovered she wanted agency. She works professionally in a very dominant role. Mm -hmm. And so she one day woke up and realized she's a switch. And so now what we're doing is we're encouraging her to pursue dominance as a switch. 
And so she's getting to explore that part of herself. And like I said to her, you know, it doesn't disturb me because my relationship with her is codified. You know, I'm wanting her to be self-expressed. Like that's my goal for her to choose mm-hmm. to explore what she discovers there is to explore about her sexuality. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I suppose we are being intentional. Then, of course, the podcast is a very huge intentional thing. I also uh, love to cook and make really interesting and delicious food. And so we have that as an intention. And then she's a Somalia and she's pursuing her Somalia credentials. And we've, I think, explored several hundred cocktails so you know all of that's all of that's in the world of creating what we're all about you know we're not yeah it's not just sex for us like we live every moment of every day fully like we like to say at the end of the day that we use the day up yeah you know I love that so another thing I wanted to ask you about is consent you mentioned consent earlier and we my my cuckold and I play around a little bit with a submissive dominant, you know, kind of interplay. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is how as a submissive, while, as you said, you're in a total power exchange and you carry the power, the submissive and their consent is the, is the prerequisite to having the power, right? Yeah. I mean, but, here's the thing, you know, consent What we do in kink without consent would be a crime in all 50 states, right? If if I tied her up and beat her and I didn't have her consent, that would be a crime. That would be assault, right? Sexual assault. Absolutely. And so because kink is edgy, you know, in order for me to be able to piss down her throat, She's got to be somebody who's willing to let me piss down her throat. She's got to mm-hmm. choose that, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to just make her do that because I live with her and at night she could wake up and get a knife and stab me in my bed. So I better do things <laughs> to her that she wants done to her, right? Mm-hmm. So the way that I think about consent is this, like I want her to do certain things, but I want her to do them because she wants to do them. Mm-hmm. So I have to enroll her in what I'm up to to get her to choose to do the things I want her to do because she wants to do them. Now, because it's a total power exchange, I have her power. Like that's just a given, but there are constraints on that power and she Mm -hmm. has hard limits and those hard limits are defined and I know what they are and I will never ever violate those hard limits because I don't have her consent to do those things. You know, one of her hard limits is gunplay. Mm-hmm. I'll never bring a gun into the bedroom mm-hmm. because that's a hard limit for her, right? Yeah. I don't have her consent to do that. It's not something I'm interested in, but my point is I don't have her consent. Sure. On the other hand, I have her consent to do anything else. Anything else that's not her hard limit, if it's, even if it's a soft limit, I have her consent to do that because I have the power. But inside of that, we still have questions of safety. Mm -hmm. And so one of the consent conversations is around what are her safe words and how do we relate to those? And I talked about the way we use red and yellow. Red and yellow, yeah. Yeah. For example, in in impact play, I want to, like if you think of an impact play scene as having a scale of zero to 10, right? Like I can can use an implement on her and I can use it on any number up to 10. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so one, two, and three, it doesn't really bother her. Four, five, and six, it's getting her attention. Mm-hmm. Seven is about the limit I want to play at. Eight, nine, not really interested in being there. It's over the top. Ten, we take her to the emergency room and she reds out, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm flogging her, I might say to her, where are you at? And she'll give me a number back. She'll say, I'm at a four. And I know that I can go harder and get to a seven. Okay, now I'm at a seven. So I have her consent to hit her that hard at that moment because she's given me her immediate consent, even though I have a broader consent, mm-hmm. right? So the submissive in, at least from our point of view, literally has the power to stop the scene. Mm-hmm. That's the power they have. They can say no. Right. They can say no at any time, 
right? And no isn't no, maybe. It's not no, go ahead. It's no, it's no stop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But because we're naturally human, we have a tendency to say no sometimes when something goes further than we want it to, mm-hmm. but we don't want to stop. That's why we use different words like red and yellow to approach the consent limits. Yeah. But consent is really her choosing to be my three-hole fuck toy. That's, that's her choice, right? She's putting herself forward. Mm-hmm to be used by her master as he sees fit. And it's her consent that's creating that. Like, I don't get to have a woman get naked in my living room if she doesn't want to get naked in my living room, Mm -hmm. right? This has to be her choice. She has the consent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very important conversation, I think, a lot. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Cool. So yeah. So much good stuff in this conversation, which leads me to know that we will have to do it again for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I'm really looking forward also to having Lady Petra on to kind of talk about her own dynamic, but then have you both back so that we can talk to you together about your dynamic because it's super fascinating. And I, I just really enjoy what you guys are putting out there and how accessible you are making kink and all facets of it. You know, you don't just you don't just focus on what you guys are involved in and what you enjoy. Um, right. You're you're really opening it up for the rest of us. And I think that is so fascinating and I love it. So yeah, thank you so much for being on today. I also want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you um, in your different formats. So do you want to share where people can find you online sure. or whatnot? So the, the, you know, one place to look for us is uh, ladypetraplayground.com. That's where she archives all of our content. On Fet Life, I'm Safa Master. She's Lady underscore Petra, P-E-T-R-A. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, always look for the Kiki Cocktail Hour. It's on mm-hmm. every platform. And we put out a lot of content. And if you've got a peculiar interest like cock and bowl torture or sadomasochism or leather, you know, you can find niche conversations there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's how to find us. And you're both on Twitter. You are, I think, Saffir Master on Twitter. Uh, well, I think my Twitter ID is Saffir206 Master. Okay. Look. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll look it up while you give us. Yeah, yes. you're Master206 master, yeah. Saffir. Yeah. And she's Lady Petra Playground. LP Playground. Yep. LP Lady Playground. Petra Playground. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Saffir Master, for being on today. And My pleasure. Can't wait to keep our conversations going. And anytime. We'll talk soon. 